The show that doesn't grab them by the but does occasionally kick them in the ball. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show all the way out from the city of Bukalani. That is somewhere in the 50th state on the Valley Isle. No matter where you are and what time of day it is, aloha and welcome. We'll be talking about our weekend review and riffing on some of the big stories of the week. Oh, and giving you a brief reminder, if you want to, hey, uh, make sure that you join us. You can do that going to the website shaggyjenkins.com. Sign up for our Patreon or Stitcher. Yeah, we're on Stitcher as well as iTunes if you want to get the show after the fact. And follow me wherever fine social media is trolled by Russians at Shaggy Live. Joining me <laughs> from the city of Chico, it's Kenyatta DiBiase. Welcome to the show, man. Why, thank you for having me, kind sir. Always a pleasure to be here. Man, we have got some stories to discuss today, don't we? Undoubtedly. Let's break it down for these folks. Okay, let's go into our first big story of the week. It's the biggest who done it, a will they, won't they convict story, having to do with an officer by the name of Geiger and a guy by the name of Botham. Now, mm. I, I want to get your initial results because, Kenyatta, everybody seems to be going off the rails about this story because, oh my God, here it is, a police officer has shot another minority and the situations around it don't look that good, do they? No, they don't. I mean, like, I, I don't feel like I'm completely versed, but I heard that they found a whole bunch of police equipment inside of his house and there was you know some unexplainables i'm not 100 percent clear on what's going on but the whole thing sounds rather shecky to me well this is the thing and 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 it's a point that i've tried to bring up on this show before we are right now right back at the moment of mississippi burning where cops will do whatever it is to and and this is the thing, because Kenyatta, I gotta ask you: If you're a victim of a crime, how can you be culpable or a villain in that crime that took your life? Um, the only way that happens is when the person or persons who should be protecting you are trying to put you in the ground, under the ground, and out of the way. You know, that's the thing that really bothers me about all this, because. When we're looking into some of the facts of this story, it it, it seems like the old country boy narrative is being brought out. Oh, he was black. Obviously, he was up to no good. But can you? Dude, can I be up? How much much no good can I be up to on my own couch at three o'clock in the morning? (laughs) You know, apparently enough to get you shot. But this is the thing that I got to ask you, okay? Because. Mm -hmm, mm I want to know from a rational person who who is not a Caucasian like myself, if somebody busted in your house and started issuing orders, would you be compliant? I would not. Uh, I have to be really honest, and, and I, I, I think most Americans, like you know those good old boys who probably don't want to shake my hand, would even agree with me on this. If somebody kicks in your front door, you're going for them. Like that, that's kind of the rule. And the fact that this guy wasn't even a, an aggressor in this situation, like he wasn't even coming for her and she still felt the need to put two in the sternum is ridiculous. Yeah. Now, this is the thing, too, is because and I'm going to bring this up because I think that this shows a, a definite problem with how we view society. 
what is it about white people that makes them think that it's okay to shoot somebody for not listening to the words coming out of their mouth? When did when did not listening become a uh, threat of bodily harm or put you, put your life in danger? And if that's the case, shouldn't these really overbearing and obnoxious kids that all these white folks are having, shouldn't they also be shot immediately on sight? Because none of them listen. None of them do as they're told. They can't be given any sort of instruction. You know, I hate to say you're right, <laughs> but you might be right there. Look. Here's the thing that bothers me, because had that crime been committed against somebody that resembled myself, we wouldn't be talking about a death today, would we? No. Okay, so this is the thing that I'm, I'm going to just bring this up because it's something that inherently is behind the narrative of stories like this. Time and time again, whenever there is a crime, you have to kind of look at how they talk about the crime. And when it comes to crimes of this nature, we have a white officer, a person of color as the victim. Why is it? And, and, and I really got to ask you this. Why is it as a person of color that your existence is automatically culpable to some crime? Um, because when you are systematically trying to keep a, I won't even say a color of people, when you're systematically trying to keep a caste or a class of people down, you use a certain toolbox. And that's one of the main tools in that toolbox. You know, the sick thing about that toolbox is <coughs> it's been used to high effect over and over and over again. So this is what I got to ask you, Kenyatta. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> when it comes to people having these kind of stories in front of them, why is it in America that when you go to the news channels, there's two different descriptions of the same crime? Now, for example, Fox News in Texas ran a story of a, a black man who was killed in his home and police have confiscated police equipment and, uh, you know, cartridges and drugs. Mm -hmm. And this was this was a tragic case. But then you go to a minority owned station and they're like, this was a church going, hardworking, employed man who was gunned down innocently in his home after committing no crime. Why is it that, depending on what side of the racial line you're on, the narrative changes? Um, wow. I think the narrative changes because um, when you're compassionate and it's happening to people who look like your brothers and sisters, like your mother and father, you feel a total, a total difference. You feel, you feel compassion for those people. And what those news outlets that you're talking about are showing us is they have no compassion for people of color. They have no compassion for the situation. And if at all possible, they're going to paint a picture that did not actually happen in their favor. You know, and this is the thing, because fairness seems to be like a main theme in this week's stories. Fairness mm -hmm. seems to be the one thing that everybody is clamoring either they don't have, like Donald Trump says, nothing about his investigation is being fair. Brett Kavanaugh, and we have the case that we'll talk about in a sec with Professor Ford, thinking that the Senate hearing wouldn't be fair to her. And now we have this police station that's saying, well, look. If our officer kills somebody and they are obviously up to no good, no matter how that officer came upon that scene, we should be giving a pass here as the good guys. Why is it 
that this narrative isn't working now? Hmm. I think uh, our ability to talk to each other, to uh, commiserate on these subjects, outlets like yourself are empowering people to take action against this kind of stuff. And I, I think like uh, someone on the radio said earlier today, and it kind of scared me because they were like, you know, a lot of this is to remind us of our place. The reason why there's a proliferation of men getting shot on Facebook, black men getting shot on Facebook, a black woman being thrown to the ground with no weapons, no reason and no cause is to show us that they still have power over us, that at any moment this could be switched and changed up. And I, I think the, the statement to take to heart and the thing that people really need to remember is, you know, the past actions do not define us. It's how we act right now that is most important. So, you know, even even the civil rights movement, even all that stuff, those, those are those are all past things and those are really fantastic. But I think right now action needs to be taken in a in a personal manner in order to make movement happen. OK, well, when we talk about the civil rights movement and all of these movements, why is it in the year 2018 we're still trying to ensure basic human rights to large swaths of our population? Because capitalism is kind of greedy and bad and hungry in, in ways that it, it can't be fed. And unfortunately, when you leave the human element in a lot of things, we tend to act uh, on our animal instincts instead of our uh, cognitive instincts, the uh, frontal lobe. Uh, the part that keeps us from like, you know, just bashing each other over the head with uh, bats and clubs at, at any instance, all that stuff is like, we need a better plan and we need to enact it. You know, this is the thing about when we talk about plans, the plan is always when, when crimes of this nature happen, if the victim is a minority, they are somehow culpable. For their own deaths. They are somehow, through virtue of being whatever it is they are, they are through that virtue alone able to be treated differently than everybody and, else. And you're really pointing it out in the fact that even, you know, <clears throat> not only are, are they the uh, culprit in this situation, it wouldn't matter whether he was or wasn't a church-going guy. It wouldn't matter whether or not he did or did not have uh, – dude, who doesn't have a police scanner at their house? You can go to a website right now, and we all have a police scanner at our house. What do you mean police equipment? You know, I mean, <laughs> I, I have a police scanner on my iDevice. How neat is that? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that anytime that you listen to police scanners, and this is something that if you've never done before, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to do yourself a favor. I want you to pull out a map of your city, and in that map of the city, mark the neighborhoods that you know are white neighborhoods and neighborhoods that are minority neighborhoods, Latino, black, what have you. Now, with your scanner, listen to the way the cops talk when responding to calls in those neighborhoods, and you'll notice a very distinct difference of language, won't you? Oh, you you will not only uh, you'll not only listen to a, a distinct difference in language. You will one they put the rookie cops in the neighborhoods that you're talking about. So the people of color, the the Hispanics, the Asians, we get rookie cops who have to work every weekend. They have the least amount of skills and the least amount of abilities to do what they're supposed to do, and they don't live in our neighborhoods. They're, they're a gang. 
no, they really are a gang, and they talk like one when they come in here. So, oh, you know, mm-hmm. now I'm going to need backup because I'm going to respond to a call, and it's like the call could be for something very trivial, yet when the community zip code changes, the attitudes and— Shaggy, yeah. Shaggy it has to change. You know why? Because if you go to someone's house where you've killed their mother, raped their sister, taken their, their brother or cousin to jail, guess what? You're going to be your head's going to be on swivel. You're going to be looking for somebody to mess you up. And the cops know dang well they deserve to be messed up. A cop getting getting out of a car in those neighborhoods should feel some kind of way. You know, this is the thing, too, is because the na- the, the neighborhood that that not only um, Officer Geiger, but Botham John resided in. This wasn't a neighborhood known for high crime, was it? Mm hmm. More importantly, it was it was obviously a, a neighborhood known for people coming home inebriated and parking on the wrong uh, on the par- wrong parking floor, and then kicking in other people's doors and acting a fool. Now, this is the thing that really bothers me about this whole case, though, is because when we talk about perceptions, they're always trying to per- put a perception on somebody non-white. And when they do this, they do it in a way that they know will lead to the kind of, um, how do I say this, the kind of narrative that says whatever actions, no matter how brutal, no matter how out of line they were, whatever actions our officer of the peace took, they were justified. But the thing is, is in the year 2018, how likely as a society are we to believe that narrative? Uh, considering how much television we watch, and that's where people, they think that's where they really learn things about the world, not realizing that, like, you know, I mean, here, I'll, I'll put it in perspective for you. If all you watched was the wrong television station on TV, you would think that people of color were absolute animals who went out shooting each other, and when they weren't shooting each other, they were the one who saw the whole accident. I was right there. So he came down this way and he hit them. They they portray us in the worst way possible in media every single day and then wonder why people feel some kind of way towards us. You know, and that's the thing, too, is because it's kind of like a rehashing <laughs> of the black jazz minstrel shows. It's always yep. whenever a minority is involved, it's either comical or somewhat nefarious. There is never, and and this is the thing I gotta ask you, Kenyatta. When are we, we can gonna play sports? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but where? When are we gonna get to the point that we've normalized minorities in this country? Wow, wow. I don't have any idea, dude. We're still we're still completely, you know, thought of as exotic and er- and erotic and all these things. Like people don't even realize that it isn't like. I think a lot of people don't understand that uh, it's just as detrimental to people of color to be thought of as exotic as it is to be thought of as less than. Oh, yeah. But the thing is, is that you're thought of as an extreme, as an exception, and mm-hmm. you're not thought of as normal. And that's just it. When me and Stacy brought this up on the show a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about lamenting, wanting a world where there's normal minorities in the United States. But we don't want to normalize minorities in the United States. Why is that? Because as long as they keep us as uh, beasts of burden, uh, magical creatures, um, crazy weirdos that can't be controlled, uh, sexualized beasts whose booties are big and, and, and they can't control themselves when they're around each other and they grind, like 
all of that stuff just keeps us at, at a level below being human. Okay, because, you know, when we talk about inhuman acts, let's jump to another story. Okay. Uh, when it comes to the inhumane and inhuman act of sexual assault, would you think, Kenyatta DiBiase, if anywhere in your past you were a part of a culture of sexual misogyny, of putting down a gender just for mere virtue of that gender, would you feel that that entitles you to a federal position? No. I, I mean, I can say that all of us are guilty of that because we're raised in this in this culture. So all all men are guilty at some point of taking advantage of women or teasing women or being uh, um, disrespectful towards women because of their sex. Being the fact be the fact that we're all guilty of that at some time. Then you have this this innate ability for it to be uh, ignored in its worst cases is what we have. The, the, the thing that really gets me, though, is like, especially when you talk about <clears throat> that F word, mm -hmm. not, not that F word, the other one, feminism. A, <laughs> a, a, a lot of people, when it comes to approaching feminism, they say that it is a reaction. Uh, it is a, just a lashing out at, 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 at a culture that doesn't want to let another gender have their way. But at the end of the day, and this is where this story is going, at the end of the day, feminism is really about equality in its purest form, once again, normalizing things between the genders. So, Kenyatta, is mm -hmm. it any reason, is there any reason in your head that if you were a woman in modern society that you would think a group of old white men would treat you fairly? No. Just just seeing a group of men. Think about it. As a woman, you're asking me to think as if I'm a woman. Just seeing a group of men as my opposition in any decision would make me feel some kind of way. Well, I want to I want to put this little um cliche out there okay mm -hmm. and this is a cliche that once you put it out there it kind of makes a lot of sense but i want to get your honest gut reaction to this if you are a man and you walk into a room full of women you are excited if you are a woman and you walk into a room full of men you are afraid what do you think yeah. of that statement i think that statement speaks troves to where we live how people are treated, um, people's place in society. Well, when it comes to people's place in society, we have to bring up Christine Blasey Ford, who is the woman responsible for accusing Brett Kavanaugh of sexual assault way back when. Now, this is the thing, though. And, and I, I want to bring this story up because it's where Republicans are kind of double standardy in a way that is super obvious. Kenyatta, if it's okay for us to go after one comedian by the name of Bill Cosby for mm -hmm. sexual assault that he's done more than 30 years in the past, why is it that Republicans now say that the charges and allegations against Brett Kavanaugh shouldn't be taken seriously? Well, I mean, obviously it's a good old boys club and they're trying to protect one of their good old boys. 
on the other end of that stick, I want to say that, I mean, how can we take anything that man does seriously? You know what I'm saying? Like whether, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, no, I'm just kidding on that. And, and uh, well, it should be taken. Well, the thing is, is they had this whole little uh, back and forth with Republicans going, hey, do you write in a pen? That's pretty badass. That's a mic drop moment that you write in a pen. Do you know how many people write in a pen every day? Seriously, though. Yeah. So, I mean, they do seem to have this double standard of if it's a person of color, like Bill Cosby, it doesn't matter. There is no statute of limitations. But when it's a white judicial candidate, oh, my God, we can't be thinking about things too far in the past because what bearing do they have on modern persons as we know them? Yeah. I mean, like if if uh if Bush Jr. can say that he was, you know, younger than when he was 34 years old. <laughs> right. Right. I wish I could uh, get away with some of the mistakes wow, I man. made in my tender 30s. Woo. Just just say it's because I was young. That's dope. Right. And I mean, this is one of the things, too, about privilege. White people are the only ones that use that. Yep. Okay, I mean, just put this, just, just, just put this in your your brain and think about it. When is the last person? When's the last time you heard a minority person come up to you and talk about, "Well, I was just young and dumb, and everybody forgave me for it." Ha ha ha! Life is great. Yeah, I say this all the time. I I meet people. It's amazing to me because I'll be somewhere and I'll meet a person and they'll be like, "Oh, I used to do heroin. I stole from my mom. I beat my kids." I robbed the place I worked at. I spent three years in jail. And now I'm here helping you sign your loan agreement. And I'm like, no black man in history would ever be able to have done any one of those things and be here helping me sign my loan for anything. Holding cash. This person's holding cash or selling me guns or or driving me around the block in a used car lot. They, they, they should be ostracized from the society as far as a person of color would be concerned. But here they are living a whole life after they've ruined other people's lives. Yeah. Let's not forget how many times we've sent white people up to club fed. Seriously, though. This is the thing, though, because I want to ask you, if you were somebody like Christine Blasey Ford, a professor who is alleging sexual assault that happened over 35 years ago, if you were her and you knew that a room full of people with a vested interest in making this guy look good were about to interview you, would you feel that that was a fair case? No, I would feel just like I feel now when I go into any of those rooms. Do I ever get a fair case? Is, is it even possible is the question. No. And that's the thing, because now she is trying to basically tell everybody, and rightly so in my opinion, I'm not going to go in front of these guys because they're just going to smear my name like they did Anita Hill. And yep. Kenyatta, i got to ask you, do you remember what it was like in 1991 when you were watching Anita Hill testify? It was like watching a soldier fight in a military battle. It really was, because they went after everything. An assault on her character, an assault on her taste, an assault on her education, an assault on her intelligence. But at the mm -hmm. end of the day, I'm going to ask, point blank, did they take her serious? Not for even a millisecond. And that's why we have there's nothing she Thomas. There's, there is nothing she could have said 
that would have changed their minds from the moment they sat down. And this is this is by far the most interesting thing about uh, having a, a debate or an argument with a person. You want to you want to start with this question: Are you about to have a talk with me, and you you're willing to have your mind changed? Or are you trying to change my mind? Because if your only goal is to change my mind, we can stop right now. Yeah, we can call this a day and be done with it, son. Because I'm coming to the table. I'm always coming to the table. The reason why I want to have a really hard discussion with you is because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's some point that you you can make that really is going to change my mind on this. And I absolutely need to hear it right now. But if I'm coming to the table and the only thing I'm thinking is I'm going to get shaggy to think what I think right now, I'm a fool. And that's probably not going to happen. No, but that is exactly what Republicans are hoping happens. Yep. Now, this yeah. is the thing, too. They're not really sailing this through on party lines alone because people inside their own party are like, whoa, 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 hold up. This is going to look really bad if we put another sexual assault offender on the Supreme Court. Now, Kenyatta. If you were to go to the highest court of a land that you occupied and 20 Kenyatta stand? Yeah, Kenyatta stand. And you knew that in front of the Kenyatta stand Supreme Court that 22% of them were sexual assaulters. How would you feel about the validity of their decisions when it comes to questions of gender? Um I would be quaking in my boots for my mother, my aunt my cousin, my girlfriend, your wife, your daughter. <laughs> I can't, do I need to continue? You understand what I'm trying to say, right? <laughs> right. I mean, this is this is a long list of people that could potentially be impacted. And, and, and here's the thing. When we talk about American society and we talk about women in the workplace, they are constantly now, constantly and consistently more college educated they are more prompt on time and better performing in collaborative environments. So yes. why is it that when it comes to these old white men in Congress, the only thing that they can think to do is invalidate this woman, not the claims? They are really good at tearing down an individual for a cause. Is that right? Am I saying that right? You know what I mean? Like they they'll they they're going in. They're going to try and destroy her on the basis that they're destroying the cause. But in fact, they're just attacking, like you said, her character and her choices in life and whether or not she smokes and all that. It's like, yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, we've got to take a, a quick break for now. But when we come back, I kind of want to cover some of the more salacious details that are coming out about Donald Trump, including. Yeah, I'm going to make mention of that whole Stormy Daniels tobacco. That's a on. word. Yes, word. That's up I'm the excited. <laughs> it's coming up next, the Shaggy Jenkins Show. What's in a name? By definition, the name of a person, place, or thing is its personal designation, a distinct way of being known to others. Unless, of course, it's the opposite, a label meant to disguise who or what a person or thing really is. In other words, a fake name. Hiding one's true identity can be done for many legitimate reasons, but it's widely used these days by flimflammers and corporate front groups. 
For example, Restaurant Workers of America is not made up of waiters, cooks, bartenders, etc. It's a front group for chain restaurant owners who oppose raising the sub-minimum wage of their actual workers. Such astroturf citizen groups often hide behind patriotic-sounding names like Americans for Prosperity to run massive campaigns of deceit to benefit the corporate sponsors at the expense of the public interest. And now, from out west, comes a brand spanking new group, Cowboys for Liberty. What a positive moniker. Cowboys are seen as down-to-earth, straight shooters, and America is all about liberty. But wait, is this just a front for corporations wanting to grab our public lands? Au contraire, as the old cowhands say. It's an audacious, fun-loving network of hell-raising climate change activists who are out to expose, shame, and defeat the corporate-serving profiteers behind the climate denier industry. They chose the cowboy image both to symbolize the true West ethic of defending Mother Nature and as a spoof of the Orwellian perversion of language by dishonest corporate powers. This is Jim Hightower saying, but Cowboys for Liberty is more than a name. It's a public campaign to unveil the shameful, avaricious individuals who are behind climate change pollution, putting their personal wealth and political advancement above the well-being of all other earthlings. Join the campaign at www.whydeny.org. Hightower's commentaries are brought to you by the Hightower Lowdown, the monthly newsletter with Hightower's take on what Wall Street and Washington are up to. For information, visit HightowerLowdown.org. Dig deeper. Remove the hype. Find the facts. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome back to the second part of the Shaggy Jenkins Show. Now, if you like anything that we do here, and you don't mind the fact that we're broadcasting from a little grass shack in the back of Pukalani, follow us on our website, shaggyjenkins.com, or you can even subscribe to us through Stitcher and support us on Patreon. Just look for Shaggy Live. Now, joining me all the way from Chico, California, it's a guy that is more myth than man. Please welcome Hilarious. back Kenyatta DiBiase. Welcome back. How goes it, kind sir? Thank you so much for having me back. Man, we, at the beginning of the show, started talking about the inequities of race, and then we started talking about the inequities of gender. Kenyatta, now let's talk about the inequities of investigation, shall we? <laughs> the inequities of investigation. Yeah, because when it comes to the inequities of investigation, one of the things that Donald Trump is claiming this week is that this whole rigged witch hunt against him is responsible only from, uh, or sorry, is is there uh, the sole responsibility of Democrats, the 17 angry Democrats, and he wants to prove it. But in releasing the documents that he released, um, Kenyatta, he really didn't do himself a lot of favors, did he? Yeah, he's been known to put his foot in his mouth pretty hard. Like, and, and, and at this point, he has kicked himself clean in the tonsils. There's just a little bit of heel hanging out of his mouth right now. You know, I'm wondering when it's going to get to full calf level, because when we talk about what Donald Trump is doing. OK, now let's let's go back a little bit in the timeline. Devin Nunes, who is a representative out of California, is hugely a supporter of Trump. And as such, because he is in charge of the Senate Intelligence Committee, made sure that he did everything possible, including barring subpoenas and stifling mm -hmm. and obstructing the requests for subpoenas and interviews. 
everything possible he did to obscure this investigation. So Kenyatta, now that him and the president are trying to release these 22 pages from a secure document that are highly redacted, does this go along with his agenda of making sure that everybody knows this thing is bad? <laughs> Does it go along with his agenda? Um, yes, it absolutely does. It goes along with his in, inane, crazy, psycho. Uh, <laughs> it's it's like watching it's like watching somebody bailing a boat that's already more than half full. It's hilarious. It really is, but Donald Trump has a vested interest in Kavanaugh's reputa uh, reputation, and this is the thing that I'm going to bring up to you. Mm -hmm. When it comes to Trump trying to obscure the investigation against him, he takes it as a macro vision approach. He, he, he says that it's all interrelated, you know, the way that they're treating Kavanaugh on the Hill, the way that they're treating him in the news media, it's all part of this big centralized conspiracy mm -hmm. against him. But Kenyatta, let's talk real seriously about conspiracies. At what point, if you're a conspirator, at what point do you admit failure from trying to obstruct the rise of a president? When do you admit failure? Are you, are, are you sane? Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> In this case, you would be sane, right? <laughs> But the thing is, is that they don't they don't want to admit failure. They have tried every angle possible. And I mean every angle possible to make this investigation look like it's not legitimate. But in the latest little debacle, especially with Trump having to wrestle with the security uh, uh, community to make it happen. Kenyatta, what is the American public going to think at the end of all this? Um, I don't know. I, I'm going to say they can believe both things. They can take the bait and, wow, go down the hole of delusion and craziness, or they, they, can, they can actually might maybe even do a little bit of cognitive thinking and even the mildest amount of research and find out what's really going on. Yeah, just a little bit, just a mild, tiny bit, wouldn't you think? Just a tad. Like, I'm, I'm not even asking for a lot here. I'm, I'm actually trying to go easy on him. Well, okay, okay. But uh, with all that said and done, Trump is trying to release these documents that he says will absolutely prove his innocence. But look. And I'm here to tell you that he is too stupid to even know what those would look like. Like, he, uh, he could not, he, even if we gave him the way out on a piece of paper, if it didn't have his name and his logo on the piece of paper, he would crumple it up and throw it away. Yeah. And, and that's just it. When he crumples it up and throws away, there has to be some sort of White House intern that comes in there and grabs it real quick. Hilarious! I know! But, okay, all of that, the behavior aside, uh, I gotta ask you, with the latest kind of, not only Twitter tirade that Trump is on, but as well as his actions trying to release these documents, are we seeing, and this is a big word here, are we seeing a president unhinged? Who are we seeing a president unhinged? I think that in the in the very recent past, I think some things have come to light um, that 
even someone as narcissistic as uh, the president can see have made a change in the waves. And even though he might not be correcting in the way we would, which would be trying to backtrack and save ourselves, he's probably, you know, digging in even deeper. Yeah. And the more that he digs in, the more it's starting to look like obstruction. Because here's the deal. Do you remember, Kenyatta, not too long ago, here on the Shaggy Jenkins show, we had brought up the whole, oh my God, Mueller is looking at Trump's Twitter account? Mm. You remember that when we yeah, said I, that they're looking into it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's take an objective third-party stance on this and, and kind of look through his public statements, especially when it comes to the release of this document. Does this, if you are a prosecutor, build a case for an obstructionist? Absolutely. And once again, this is what I was saying about, like, he's he's the sort of person that the likelihood is it'd be better for him not to uh, not to give us this piece of paper, and he's definitely going to do it and wind up digging himself a hole. Well, when it comes to digging that hole, he might be throwing the dirt on other bodies as he tries to get it on himself. Hilarious. <laughs> because in the constant mudslinging that is the Trump White House, the intelligence community has came out and said, hey, look, not only is this unprecedented, but let's just be honest, this is kind of sketchy in the fact that it could reveal details of an ongoing investigation. Uh, Kenyatta, do you think mm -hmm. that the president actually cares about the ongoing investigation enough not to color it? No. Why is that different from a normal presidential precedence? Um, again, I'm going to bring up narcissism. I'm going to bring up uh, a team of people who live in, like, I, I don't think this is mentioned often enough, that the, all the people surrounding this guy live in constant fear. Mm, yeah, and I mean, the, the, the New York Times op-ed piece, when it was talking about an obstruction administration around the president, the, the whole climate of fear picture does kind of ring true, doesn't it? It does. Well, this is the thing that I've got to ask you, because I'm trying to look at this story like, oh my God, this guy is really not aware of his actions. But Kenyatta, you're in a completely different state. You're in a completely mm -hmm. different state of mind than I'm in. So if you were looking as a prosecuting attorney at the recent actions of Donald Trump, would you really think that this latest spat is going to absolve him of guilt? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, you know, there is the fact that four different, four different Republican-appointed judges all signed off on the Carter Page, you know, subpoenas and the warrants. So if four different judges that were, report, were reportedly appointed by your own party object to what you're doing, does that mean that you have really a leg to stand on? Not only do you not have a leg to stand on, it means that the people who would help you find a leg or give you a leg up are against you. Yeah. And I mean, this is the thing. When you're Donald Trump, how many friends do you have at this moment? Wow. I can't even answer that. Yeah, because let's, let's let's just go through some some quick like roundabouts good people quotes. He thought Jeff Sessions was a good person. This week he came out and in an interview with reporters, when asked about the attorney general, he says, "I have no attorney general." Wow. 
So there is that. When it came to Paul Manafort, Paul Manafort was a good guy that didn't buckle. Then all of a sudden, he buckled. The White House went radio silent on him. Man. Michael Cohen, good people, all of a sudden goes and pleads guilty, starts to cooperate with the investigation, and now he is not good people. So no, if, is he, no, he's not good people. He's kind of the devil is what I heard. Right. So if you're Donald Trump right now, how many friends do you have? None. You are swimming in a sea of, of sharks and everybody's out for blood. Yeah. And then even your own wife doesn't sleep in the same bedroom with you. That should tell you something. Who would touch that guy? Come on, man. Gross. Well, uh, okay, just kind of as an aside here, can we go ahead and bring up the whole Stormy Daniels book? Word, let's do that. Okay, because look, um, <clears throat> I have, since the time of Lyndon B. Johnson's famous call with the Hagar uh, Pants Company, have never, ever, okay, well, maybe... No, 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 JFK was before LBJ. But never have I Hilarious. wanted to think about the presidential genitalia. But No, please don't bring it up. I No, I got to bring this up because, look, I'm going to say something on this show that every woman out there knows is real, every man out there denies is real, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Size matters. <laughs> When it comes to your level of confidence, I don't know why men think that their genitalia somehow dictates their ability to earn a living or to be a decent person, but size does matter. Um, okay, look, Donald Trump has been trying to size down the investigation against him. When it comes to this new personal attack of Stormy Daniels comparing his penis to a character from Super Mario Brothers, Kenyatta... The little mushroom piece? Yeah, yeah. By the way, I will never play Mario Kart the same way again. Yeah, I'm going to feel some kind of way about that. I am definitely going to have to do like a crying game shower episode after Hol Rainbow Hilarious. Run, you know. <laughs> is, is, it time for the, is it time for the quiet shower in the back with curled up in the fetal position already? He got me with the blue shell. The blue that's, shell! I can tell you right now that's not going to wash off. It is not going to wash off. But look. Donald Trump famously goes after people that go after him, but this is quite a personal level of going after him. Besides mm -hmm. all the stuff that he's doing in the news this week to kind of dissuade people from the investigation, Kenyatta, let's go ahead and predict his reaction to the comparison to a small mushroom character. <laughs> I'm going to assume that he took off on the exact same rant that Kanye West did when uh, Amber Rose let everybody know that he likes to have a little action in the rear end. Oh, good. Because for a there. second there, I thought you were going to go. He was going to say slavery isn't a choice. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> Donald Trump would totally say that slavery is a choice. <laughs> Where's Van Latham when you need him, right? Yeah, he would definitely say that. He would say that with some pride, too. It'd be hilarious. Uh, yeah, he would. But OK, let's let's go into the Kanye West defense here. Donald Trump has been accused of having a small toad, a pixel, mm -hmm. as it were. And, and when faced when faced with that kind of accusation, he would immediately, like all narcissists, go into a whole bunch of I don't do that. I don't be doing that. I don't like that. I'm not into that. Why you even say that? I'm not even that kind of person. OK, yeah, but. Let's just go ahead and bring this up. <clears throat> Kenyatta, why is it in a modern, progressive society are we spending time talking about our leader's penis? 
Mm, now this this is where I go into my conspiracy theory program, where I'm like, well, mo- I think most of the news is to keep us from thinking about what what the news should really be about. So distractions about Donald Trump's penis are also distracting us from the fact that you know the Supreme Court is going to be a whole bunch of guys that want me dead. Yeah, but could you imagine being the guy that has to make that position? Yeah, I mean, make that decision. It's like, you know, I got this whole thing about what my agenda is doing. I got this whole thing about how people are against me. Or I can fight the small penis rumors. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, pretty much at this point, if you're Donald Trump's brain, you got to be throwing your hands up and going, you know what, pick one. I sort of feel like his whole thing right now is that, you know, he can he can say for sure that no human in their right mind would take a picture of his penis. So therefore, no one really knows whether or not it is or is not. And that's the thing he should defend is something no one can find out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, because, look, could you imagine the uh, the Senate subcommittee hearing on that? Mr. President, could you produce the toad? Uh, Go ahead. Could you just yeah, just show us the turtle? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Don't worry. We know it's cold in here. (laughs) But this is the thing, because when it comes to this president, he has always been misogynistic. He has always been anti-female. Female is the lesser. Female is this. Female is that. Now, when it comes to debates of manhood, nothing is closer to this sheer virtue of being a man than the size of your genitalia. Mm-hmm. How will a guy like Donald Trump, who views women as kind of second-class citizenry, how is he going to respond in a way that's still going to make him look presidential? Uh, He's going to say that, you know, why would we believe, one, well, why would you believe a woman? She's talking. Or something along those lines. And then he's going to try and defame her with her character. And he's chosen the wrong person to fight against that with because any woman who's willing to do what she's done in the past for a living, not that there's anything wrong with that at all, but if she's done that sort of thing, she's going to be bulletproof to most of his tools for putting down a woman and keeping a woman uh, out of his way. Yeah, you know, as long as we're talking about her choice of living, can I go ahead and honestly admit that there has been women out there that have paid me money to keep my clothes on? Oh, God. (laughs) So kudos to you, Stormy Daniels, for finding a way to get the exact opposite thing profitable. Yeah, nothing better than when somebody's like, can you turn the lights down some more? You know, my wife even thinks I look best in pitch black. (laughs) But getting back to this, because, you know, when we talk about affairs and salacious things that happen around the office of the, the, the presidency, as a society, we love those like a tabloid like addiction, don't we? I think we do. I, I think, you know, the whole Marilyn Monroe, Kennedy, uh, di, di, you know, it, it was a little too obvious, a little too hot in the pants. And I think since then, we've looked for some sensationalization from our uh, from our president. We, we expect them to do something along these lines so that we can then parade them around as a as a person who is uh, not only our president, but has the prowess of a man. Now, this is the thing, too, because. When we talk about Donald Trump and his willingness to go after anybody for any little thing, <laughs> including his own little thing, <laughs> um, when we talk about that, we, we have to ask ourselves the question of, and Kenyatta, I'm going to ask you very seriously, if all of these things, 
Stormy Daniels, the Russian mm-hmm. investigation, the mm-hmm. fact that he is doing very unpopular things in the world stage, if all of these things were to, came, were to come to a head in the near future, Kenyatta, would Donald Trump leave office? No, he can't leave office. Why? He, he just, he, that'd be like walking off stage. He can't do that. That would be that would be admitting defeat. That's not even a possibility for him. No matter this is he is going to go down in horrible, horrible flames, burning the entire way. And he's going to be given the option like someone's going to be like, you could just tap out and this won't happen. And he's going to take it to the face. Now, imagine if you're somebody like Mike Pence, who might potentially, after all of this is said and done, be forced to then go and fire your boss. Woo, hotness. Right. So, I mean, at what point are are you really as far as a member of the American society or a member of the congressional body of the United States? At what point do you say there is a legitimate fear for this guy trying to hold office for life? Oh, I've been I've been screaming dictator since he started. I would not be surprised, you know, if it looks like a Demolition Man or some other future movie where they're like, yeah, after after Reagan's 13th, uh, <laughs> 13th run as president, we realized that things weren't going to change. Like uh, this, this guy's in it to win it. He's going to if we let him, he would run this place just like a dictatorship, never leave office. And his son would come in right after him. Now, keep or in his mind. wife. For his dog. The, yeah, nepotism is real. Let's just ask mm-hmm. the Bolsheviks of Tsarist uh, Russia. But all kind of Russian collusion talks aside, Donald Trump does kind of seem like a would-be king, doesn't he? No, because a king honors his queen. A king is reliable. A king makes hard decisions based not upon his ego, but based upon what's good for the people. And and our leader never does any of those things. Okay, so maybe he's more of the madness of King Lear than the the wisdom of King Henry. I'm just glad that he doesn't have any dragon's fire, because I'm sure he'd be burning everybody. Uh, Well, definitely. But I I, want to bring up this this speculative story here, because Politico ran this thing of what it would be like (coughs) in Trump's final days. Kenyatta, could you realistically right now paint a picture of what Trump's final days would look like? Um, I wake up. It's about 7.30. I just sent you a text too early in the morning and you live really far away. And then right after that, I look on the news and it says, uh, Secretary at the White House finally gets fed up with being spoken down to and blows his face off. That's what the last day is going to look like, player. He ain't going to (laughs) quit. We're not going to impeach him. Someone's going to shoot him in the face. <laughs> you know, and, and that's just it. It could be anybody from John Kelly who basically yep. tells everybody all the time, God, I hate this job. This is the worst job ever. Or any of the dozens and dozens of White House staffers. But House of Cards scenario aside, <laughs> I just want to ask you one simple question. Because mm-hmm. this is a question that has been bothering me, been keeping me up at night. Yes, I have insomnia over this question. I'm going to ask you, point blank, Kenyatta DiBiase, all the way from Chico, California, if you were in the president's shoes, mm-hmm. what would be your next move? 
Um, is my next move to stay the president that he is right now, or is my next move to become uh, an honorable human being and do something like worthwhile in the world? Yeah, but when it comes to doing worthwhile, worthwhile for whom? Well, you know me, I, I would run around giving out reparations and all kinds of craziness. We'd all be getting mules and happiness. But yeah, 40 acres <laughs> and a mule, that's, that, that, that will finally be delivered upon. Yes, and I would make it all in California, and it would be happiness and, and, and skipping all the way for everybody. But if, if I was still the lunatic that's in office right now, I would double down on everything I've already done. I would pull the team in that I put together of scared individuals as close to me as possible to protect me. And then I would send out uh, Sarah, what's her name, with the frown on her face all the time and tell her to lie through her teeth and tell America that I didn't do what I just did. Mm. So basically obstruct – Obscure, distract, delegitimize. Mm -hmm. So with knowing that as the modus operandi of the Trump White House, I want you to envision, Kenyatta, because with all of these allegations that have come out this week, with everything that we know that Paul Manafort could possibly be culpable to, if you're the president, are you seriously and legitimately counting your last days now? You should be in in the world we live in, in the place in, in, in with the with the uh, the blocks and uh, pieces that we have in place right now. We should know that he's on his way out. However, our the realization of how things really go and the way things have really been working in our society. I have no idea what's up next. Like you, like you just said, he might be the next our first dictator, not our last worst president. Yeah. And let's keep in mind that even George Washington himself said, I'm leaving after two terms, even though there's no law, because America is not want for a king. Dang. Yeah. So, okay, final kind of thoughts here, because if we had to wrap up this week in kind of a big blanket, how would you describe this week in the news cycle? I would describe it as a blanket that has been at a really raucous a uh, frat party and horrible things happened on it and we're going to roll our president up it up in it and set the whole thing on fire yeah and sadly that's about the best person that we i mean that's about the best position that we can offer hey kenyatta mm -hmm. where can people find you next um let's see i think i think my next event will be with you my friend they should just look out for me here and i'll be here to talk to them and support them and keep them on the path and tell them not to forget their shame finger and it's the most powerful weapon you have player yep and for everybody else stay close because if you are a follower of our subscription service you're going to get a bonus show from me and kenyatta till next time though love you mean it Kate and bye bye